You're listening to Between the Pages, a book club podcast that focuses on books written for young readers. Our book club's made up of a rotating roster from the staff of Camp Half-Blood Austin Bridge. Hey, demigods, it is time for Half-Bloods to assemble and defeat Nero and the Apple of Discord. Come quest with us at CampHalfBloodAustin.org. I'm your moderator, Moises, and just as with Chapter 4, we've got the same crew discussing Chapter 5. That's Adele, Joe B., Hexer, and Topher. And we're going to do a quick recap of where we just left things in Chapter 4 to take us right on into Chapter 5. So, he's got the horn, Minotaur charges, and without thinking, he rolls to the side, comes up in a kneeling position, right as the Minotaur sort of kind of barrels past, and he takes that that minotaur horn and shoves it right into the rib cage. So there you go. You're talking about him having everything but a sword. Now he's got a knife. There we go. He has a body part sword. Use what you have. And the minotaur turns into sand, disintegrates. Yeah. Yeah. uh, And it's described as being, as being very similar to what happened to Mrs. Dodds. And so here is where we have that juxtaposition of the way the Minotaur disappeared, yes. definitely different than the way that yes. his mom where, disappeared. Where his mom disappears in a flash of light, Mrs. Dodds and the Minotaur seem to like they, they got, crumble. They into got sand. Buffy the Vampire dusted. Uh, <laughs> here is a moment now where you have kind of Percy's loyalty and love and dedication to the people around him. He's out of energy at this point. I mean, he's expended all of that that adrenaline dump, and he picks. Grover up and carries him across the property line. And just drops off as soon as he can get him on the porch. Yeah. 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 And this is where he says, we see a familiar looking bearded man. Hmm, Who could that be? And then a pretty girl, her blonde hair curled up like a princess's. They both look down at me. He's the one. He must be. The chosen one. And then, yeah, yeah. That's not well, I guess. Uh, and then I guess, it's like, bring him inside, you know. Yeah, end of a chapter. Okay, well, I guess, uh, yeah, I think I'm just going to leave it there. No reason to keep reading. <laughs> right, uh, right. Stop. No, no, we'll, we just charge right into chapter five. I play Pinochle with a horse. <laughs> yeah, so, so Percy says at the start of this chapter, he has weird dreams about barnyard animals, because why wouldn't you? Why you were just attacked by one, by, by a also, mythical barnyard you know, animal. Protect, supposedly protected by one. Yeah, and, and you know, some of them uh, wanted to kill him, or most of them did, and then a few wanted food, kind of like, you know, Grover's right. been muttering, food, food. And, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm alone in craving pudding that tastes like buttery popcorn. Uh, no, that'd be yeah. so good. No. Yeah, oh, I, come on, no. The image of it, look, here, okay, yeah, we, we have to talk about this, because, yes. like, food descriptions in, in literature always get me where it's, sometimes they describe something so well, and it sounds very appetizing, if you're into that kind of thing. Sure. And then in other cases, if you've actually had Turkish Delight, you go, oh no, oh, no. why would you want that? <laughs> right. It's not great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I don't know. This didn't make me crave uh, buttery popcorn pudding. That was okay um, for it. But, yeah. but it was fine. It yeah. was fine. But it just, you know, sometimes the combination of adjectives doesn't exactly hit the spot. They make it, the jelly beans, right? Like the just, butter popcorn? It's just not working in my head. <laughs> no, no. You know, I mean, it'd be one thing if I took like a, hamburger bun jelly belly and like a hamburger patty jelly belly and ate them at once <laughs> then you'd have a burger but even jelly belly won't go that far away. right, you know right. it's just some things you just don't do mm. it's so crazy even <laughs> even reading even when i even reading c.s lewis and yes, and seeing the words can. turkish delight for the first time i was like i just don't i'm i'm, I'm not hearing the delight <laughs> in the description 
You know, it's like maybe only the Turkish can enjoy it right now. Do I have to be Turkish? Do I need to move? <laughs> we kind of get our first glimpse of Annabeth here. Uh, 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 like the first time that we get any sort of substantive interaction you know, with Annabeth. And she's basically spoon-feeding him back to health and checking in on him and making sure that he is okay. And, and then we realize... Grover is there. We see another dude, a blonde dude who, he's big and husky. He's got a bunch of eyes all over his body. Uh, so that's weird. And that's and really all we get about him. He just shows it. up there one time when Percy opens his eyes good and old, he closes his eyes again and he's gone. Good old Argus, but we're not gonna find his, his, his name out until later. Um, and, 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 and these little snippets of conversation as Percy kind of wakes up and, and takes in the space around him uh, and and you know we hear you know things like well what's going to happen at the summer solstice what's going on what was stolen what is all that and so we're introduced to this idea well this is annabeth actually trying to get information out yes of right i mean much as has been going on for the rest of this book yes percy has no idea <laughs> Right. Like, this is not information that Percy had. Yeah, yeah. He's and, and, and then you not going to string it together. Then you get a sense that everybody's not brought in the same way as far as Camp Halfway is concerned. <laughs> yeah. To where Annabelle just starts asking him questions right out of the rip, like he's mm -hmm. supposed to already be briefed on all this. Yeah. Right? And he just barely, the last thing he remembered was helping his mom fight a minotaur. Yeah. And his best friend isn't fond of pants. Right. <laughs> That's all he knows. And you're asking me all this other stupid stuff. I'll tell you one thing, some iced apple juice with a maraschino cherry, just, it just sounds, I read it over and over, and I just want that. Yeah. That's the one that you're like, yeah. That's, yeah. 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 Popcorn, yeah. butter popcorn pudding, but then, no. Okay, so then how do you feel about it tasting like chocolate chip cookies? His like? mom's, his mom's like chocolate chip cookies. See, that would just be, that's what we call multitasking. <laughs> Fo focus on one thing at a time. That's right. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, <laughs> we're making a lot of with both of them. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, and Percy gets a present. Grover's got a present for him, and it's almost like a like a like a cat uh, bringing you a dead rat in its mouth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, here you go. Yeah, so yeah, so he he is entertaining as he's as he's sort of coming back into awareness here that maybe it was a dream and that his mom might still be alive, and then he gets the present right, and it's the Minotaur horn, and it's like, well, dang. Yeah, and it just kind of confirms that no, it absolutely happened. Yeah, and she's gone. The porch wrapped all the way around the farmhouse. My legs felt wobbly trying to walk that far. Grover offered to carry the Minotaur horn, but I held on to it. I'd paid for that souvenir the hard way, and I wasn't going to let it go. As we came around the opposite end of the house, I caught my breath. We must have been on the north shore of Long Island because on this side of the house, the valley marched all the way up to the water, which glittered about a mile in the distance. Between here and there, I simply couldn't process everything I was seeing. The landscape was dotted with buildings that looked like ancient Greek architecture, an open-air pavilion, an amphitheater, a circular arena, except that they all looked brand new their white marble columns sparkling in the sun. In a nearby sandpit, a dozen high school-aged kids and satyrs played volleyball. Canoes glided across a small lake. Kids in bright orange t-shirts like Grover's were 
chasing each other around a cluster of cabins nestled in the woods. Some shot targets at an archery range. Others rode horses down a wooded trail, and unless I was hallucinating, some of their horses had wings. Down at the end of the porch, two men sat across from each other at a card table. The blonde-haired girl who'd spoon-fed me popcorn-flavored pudding was leaning on the porch rail next to them. The man facing me was small, but porky. He had a red nose, big watery eyes, and curly hair so black it almost looked purple. He looked like those paintings of baby angels. What do you call them? Hubbubs? No, cherubs, that's it. He looked like a cherub who'd turned middle-aged in a trailer park. He wore a tiger-pattern Hawaiian shirt, and he would have fit right in at one of Gabe's poker parties, except I got the feeling this guy could have outgambled even my stepfather. That's Mr. D. He's the camp director. Be polite. The girl? That's Annabeth Chase. She's just a camper, but she's been here longer than just about anybody. And you already know Chiron. He pointed at the guy who's back was to me. First, I, I realized he was sitting in the wheelchair. Then I recognized the tweed jacket, the, the thinning brown hair, the scraggly beard. Mr. Brunner, I cried. The Latin teacher turned and smiled at me. His eyes had that mischievous glint they sometimes got in class when he pulled a pop quiz and made all the multiple choice answers be. Ah, uh, good, Percy. Now we have four for Pinochle. He offered me a chair to the right of Mr. D, who looked at me with bloodshot eyes and heaved a great sigh. Oh, I suppose I must say it. Welcome to Camp Half-Blood. There. Now don't expect me to be glad to see you. Uh, thanks? I scooted a little farther away from him because if there was one thing I'd learned from living with Gabe, it was how to tell when an adult had been hitting the happy juice. If Mr. D was a stranger to alcohol... I was a satyr. Annabeth, Mr. Bruner called to the blonde girl. She came forward and Mr. Bruner introduced us. This young lady nursed you back to health, Percy. Annabeth, my dear, why don't you go check on Percy's bunk? We'll be putting him in cabin 11 for now. Annabeth said, Sure, Chiron. She was probably my age, maybe a couple of inches taller and a whole lot more athletic looking. With her deep tan and her curly blonde hair, she was almost exactly what I thought a stereotypical California girl would look like, except... Her eyes ruined the image. They were startlingly gray, like storm clouds, pretty, but intimidating too, as if she were analyzing the best way to take me down in a fight. She glanced at the minotaur horn in my hands, then back at me. I imagined she was going to say something like, You killed a minotaur? Or, you know, something like, Wow, you're so awesome. Or, you know, something like that. But instead, she just said, You drool when you sleep. Then she sprinted off down the lawn, her blonde hair flying behind her. So, I said, anxious to change the subject, you, uh, work here, Mr. Brunner? Not Mr. Brunner. <laughs> the ex, Mr. Brunner said. I'm afraid that was a pseudonym. You may call me Chiron. Okay. Totally confused. I looked at the director and, uh... Mr. D, uh, does that stand for something? Mr. D stopped shuffling cards. He looked at me like I just belched loudly. Young man, names are powerful things. You don't just go around using them for no reason. 
Oh, right. Sorry. I must say, Percy. Chiron Brunner broke in. I'm glad to see you alive. It's been a long time since I've made a house call to a potential camper. I'd hate to think that I've wasted my time. House call? My year at Yancey Academy to instruct you. We have satyrs at most schools, of course, keeping a lookout. But Grover alerted me as soon as he met you. He sensed you were something special, so I decided to come upstate. I convinced the other Latin teacher to... <laughs> uh, take a leave of absence. I tried to remember the beginning of the school year. It seemed like so long ago, but I did have a fuzzy memory of there being another Latin teacher my first week at Yancey. Then, without explanation... He just disappeared, and Mr. Brunner had taken the class. So you came to Yancey just to teach me? I asked. Chiron nodded. Honestly, I wasn't sure about you at first. We contacted your mother, let her know we were keeping an eye on you in case you were ready for Camp Half-Blood. But you still had so much to learn. Nevertheless, you made it here alive, and that's always the first test. Grover, Mr. D said impatiently. You playing or not? Yes, sir. Grover trembled as he took a fourth chair, though I didn't know why he should be so afraid of a pudgy little man in a tiger print Hawaiian shirt. You do know how to play pinochle. Mr. D eyed me suspiciously. I'm afraid not, I said. I'm afraid not, sir, he said. Sir, I repeated. I was liking the camp director less and less. Well, he told me. It is, along with gladiator fighting and Pac-Man, one of the greatest games ever invented by humans. I would expect all civilized young men to know the rules. I'm sure the boy can learn, Chiron said. Please, I said, what is this place? What am I doing here, Mr. Brun... Chiron? Why would you go to Yancey Academy just to teach me? Mr. D snorted. I asked the same question. The camp director dealt the cards. Grover flinched every time one landed in his pile. Chiron smiled at me sympathetically, the way he used to in Latin class, as if to let me know that no matter what my average was, I was his star student. He expected me to have the right answer. Percy, he said. Did your mother tell you nothing? She said... I remembered her sad eyes, looking out over the sea. She told me she was afraid to send me here, even though my father had wanted her to. She said that once I was here, I probably couldn't leave. She wanted to keep me close to her. Typical, Mr. D said. That's how they usually get killed. Young man, are you bidding or not? What? I asked. He explained impatiently how you bid in Pinochle, and so I did. I'm afraid there's too much to tell, Chiron said. I'm afraid our usual orientation film won't be sufficient. Orientation film? I asked. No. Chiron decided. Well, Percy, you know your friend Grover is a satyr. You know that you have killed the Minotaur. No small feat either, lad. What you may not know is that great powers are at work in your life. Gods. The forces you call the Greek gods are very much alive. I stared at the others around the table. <laughs> I waited for somebody to yell, Not! But all I got was Mr. D yelling, Oh, a royal marriage! Trick! Trick! 
He cackled as he tallied up his points. Mr. D? Grover asked timidly. Uh, if you're not going to eat it, could I have your Diet Coke can? Eh? Oh, all right. Grover bit a huge shard out of the empty aluminum can and chewed it mournfully. Wait, I told Chiron. You're telling me there's such a thing as God? Well, now, Chiron said. God. Capital G, God. That's a different matter altogether. We shan't deal with the metaphysical. Metaphysical? But you, you were just talking about... Ah, gods. Plural. As in great beings that control the forces of nature and human endeavors. The immortal gods of Olympus, that's a smaller matter. Smaller? Yes, quite. The gods we discussed in Latin class. Oh, Zeus, I said. Hera, Apollo, you mean them. And there was again. Distant thunder on a cloudless day. Young man, said Mr. D. I would really be less casual about throwing those names around if I were you. But they're, they're just... They're just stories, I said. They're myths, you know, to explain lightning and the seasons and stuff. They're what people believed before there was science. Science? Mr. D scoffed. And tell me, Perseus Jackson. I flinched when he said my real name, which I'd never told anybody. What will people think of your science 2,000 years from now? Mr. D continued. Hmm? They will call it primitive mumbo-jumbo, that's what. Oh, I love mortals. They have absolutely no sense of perspective. They think they've come so far. And have they, Chiron? Look at this boy and tell me. I wasn't liking Mr. D much, but there was something about the way he called me mortal as if he wasn't. It was enough to put a lump in my throat, to suggest why Grover was dutifully minding his cards, chewing his soda can, and keeping his mouth shut. Percy, Chiron said, you may choose to believe or not, but the fact is that immortal means immortal. Can you imagine that for a moment, never dying, never fading, existing just as you are, for all time? I was about to answer, off the top of my head, that it sounded like a pretty good deal, but the tone of Chiron's voice made me hesitate. You, you mean, whether people believed in you or not, I said. Exactly, Chiron agreed. If you were a god, how would you like being called a myth? An old story to explain lightning. What if I told you, Perseus Jackson, that someday people would call you a myth, just created to explain how little boys can get over losing their mothers? My heart pounded. He was trying to make me angry for some reason. But I wasn't going to let him. Mm. I said, I wouldn't like it, but I don't believe in the gods. Oh, you better, Mr. D murmured before one of them incinerates you. Grover said, Please, sir, uh, he's just lost his mother. He's in shock. A lucky thing, too. Mr. D grumbled, playing a card. Bad enough I'm confined to this miserable job, working with boys who don't even believe. He waved his hand and a goblet appeared on the table, as if the sunlight had bent momentarily and, and woven the air into glass. The goblet filled itself with red wine. My jaw dropped. Chiron hardly looked up. Mr. D, he warned. Your restrictions? Mr. D looked at the wine in feigned surprise. Oh, dear me. He looked at the sky and he yelled, 
Old habits. Sorry. More thunder. Mr. D waved his hand again and the wine glass changed into a fresh can of Diet Coke. He sighed unhappily, popped the top of the soda, and went back to his card game. Chiron winked at me. Mr. D offended his father a while back, took a fancy to a wood nymph who had been declared off-limits. A wood nymph, I repeated, still staring at the Diet Coke like it was from outer space. Yes, Mr. D confessed. Father loves to punish me. The first time, prohibition. Ghastly. Absolutely horrid ten years. The second time, well, she was really pretty and I couldn't stay away. The second time, he sent me here. Half-Blood Hill. Summer camp for brats like you. Be a better influence, he told me. Work with youths rather than tearing them down. Ha! Absolutely not fair! Mr. D sounded about six years old like a pouting little kid. And, uh, I stammered, your father is... The immortal Chiron, Mr. D said. Thought you taught this boy the basics. <sighs> My father is Zeus, of course. I ran through the D names from Greek mythology. <laughs> you know, wine, the skin of a tiger, the satyrs. It all seemed to work here, the way Grover cringed as if Mr. D were his master. Oh, you're Dionysus, I said. The god of wine. Mr. D rolled his eyes. What do they say these days, Grover? Do the children say, well, duh? Yes, Mr. D. Then, well, duh, Percy Jackson. Did you think I was Aphrodite, perhaps? You're a god. Yes, child. A god. You. He turned to look at me straight on, and I saw a kind of purplish fire in his eyes, a hint that this whiny, plump little man was only showing me the tiniest bit of his true nature. I saw visions of grapevines choking unbelievers to death, drunken warriors insane with battle-lust sailors screaming at their hands to turn to flippers and, and their faces elongating into dolphin snouts. I knew that if I pushed him, Mr. D would show me worse things. He would plant a disease in my brain that would leave me wearing a straitjacket in a rubber room for the rest of my life. Would you like to test me, child? No, no, sir. The fire died a little. He turned back to his card game. I believe I win. Not quite, Mr. D, Chiron said. He set down a straight tallied the points and said, The game goes to me. I thought Mr. D was going to vaporize Chiron right out of his wheelchair, but he just sighed through his nose as if he were used to being beaten by the Latin teacher. He got up and Grover rose too. I'm tired, Mr. D said. I believe I'll take a nap before the sing-along tonight. But first, Grover, we need to talk again about your less-than-perfect performance on this assignment. Grover's face beaded with sweat. Yes, sir. Mr. D turned to me. Cabin 11, Percy Jackson. And mind your manners. He swept into the farmhouse, Grover following miserably. Will Grover be okay? I asked Chiron. 
Old Dionysus isn't really mad. He just hates his job. He's been, uh, grounded, I guess you would say, and he can't stand waiting another century before he's allowed to go back to Olympus. We, we have Cabin 11 mentioned for the first time, and we gather that there is something, something a bit different about Percy uh, as compared to everybody else that is, that is in this place. Uh, how, how, uh, how, do, how do we feel about him feeling excluded in a way as he is being welcomed into this new place? Cabin 11 is where everybody goes when you don't know where to go, right? That's the Hermes cabin. Undetermined is the phrase that they use. Yes, yeah, they use undetermined. I think in this chapter, we kind of pick up that he's the only demigod at Camp Half-Blood that has ever, ever killed a minotaur, right? He's walking around with his horn in his hand. So, yeah, he's already feeling othered. Mom is gone. Um, stuff got real, really quick, all of a sudden. And... Um, everyone, everyone is staring at him, like yeah. he's with his minotaur. Um, yeah, yeah. As he says... He felt like everyone was expecting him to do a flip. So they talk about showing him an orientation film. <laughs> now, at the time, I didn't have this in mind, but now that I've seen the Avengers movies, it makes me Captain immediately America. think of the Captain America orientation <laughs> films. Yes! You know? Um, and so Let me that's, tell you something about patience. Yes. <laughs> you know what's cool? Following the rules. Follow- <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> So he gets introduced to these concepts that, that you know, the, the gods are real. And there's a really interesting sidestep here towards Percy kind of making sense of, okay, wait, so wait, like, you know, you're telling me that there's such a thing as, as, as God? And Chiron does this wonderful thing. It's this lovely sidestep where we're not, we're not worried about this thing existing right alongside this other thing. Right. right. And it kind of brings the readers in and invites them to go, all right, okay, cool. I'm okay with this. Right. Like, yeah. Like, suspending disbelief for this does not interfere with what I may believe about right. this other thing. Right. right, right, right. Yeah. We discover who Mr. D really is. We get why Mr. D is directing this camp, which it's already pretty plain that he's, he's not terribly thrilled about doing any of this. Uh, so just, why is he here? Let's just say he's a grumpy turd. Yeah. <laughs> because because he is. He's got a, he's been sent to dry out because he of, he of all people Zeus goes, Zeus. "You know what? You shouldn't have gotten gotten messed messed up with that wood nymph, Zeus." Yeah, yeah, because, Zeus. How how yeah, dare you get yeah. mixed up with that woman from Zeus? <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, bro. Wow. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so he's been sent to Camp Hapla to dry out. Because Mr. D, who gave Zeus wine in the first place, brought it to Mount Olympus, um, had a crush on a nature spirit that Zeus had a crush on. So, you know, there we go. It is Dionysus. Dionysus. Mr. D is Dionysus. What cracks me up is he asked what Mr. D stood for, and Mr. D was like, names have power. You know, and he basically was like, don't ask. And then Percy immediately was like, first off, naming, naming off gods. He's like, Zeus, Hera, Athena. And then he's like, dude, calm down, chill out. And he's like, you're Dionysus. And I could just imagine him being like, 
dude, kid, shut up. Like, yeah. like with kids, you gotta tell you gotta tell them straight out of <laughs> because it's on you when they go and try to figure it out on their own. I'm like, just be straight up as you can. Yeah. So he's basically that cool uncle yeah. that gets even cooler the more annoyed he is with you. Yeah. But like, yeah. kid, get away from you, which is basically saying, no, kid, hang out with me all you want. Yeah. And really saying. We see that happen out at camp all yeah. the time. Yeah, that is absolutely the I mean, it is, it is bristling with danger, and I don't like you, and stay f- as far away from me as you can. Right. And it's it this, it's the rope in the middle of the room with the sign that says, do not pull. And, yeah. and, you know? <laughs> and inevitably, that kid always is attached at the hip. Oh, yeah. That said, it is not the effect that Mr. D has on Percy. No. No, 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 no. no not at all. And we're about, we're about to run into this uh, this point oh, where, you know, yeah. per- Percy being a kid who just, uh, you know, thinks very highly of his own opinions, he, he decides <laughs> to just... Uh, you know, mention that he doesn't believe in gods and goddesses. Yeah, right. Right, right, right after he's been introduced, introduced to, to one, so yeah. whole the, the whole gods and goddesses thing, totally a thing, that's when he decides to go, yeah, by the way, I don't really believe in that. So. And, and what kills me is he's he has now killed two fantastical creatures. Yes. Himself, not seen them killed. He has killed them himself. From Greek mythology. From Greek right. mythology that he has, he has learned about... Um, his best friend has goat legs. Um, is a satyr, another creature from Greek mythology. Yes. Um, <clears throat> he has seen all of these things happen. He has all of this evidence that, um, that things have happened to him in his life. All of these things. Um, and then when presented with this information that the Greek gods and goddesses are real, his <clears throat> brain is so full <laughs> Of all of this stuff and all of this stress, that it went no more. No, sir. That is a no bridge too more. Far. That is too much. <laughs> Can I do it? That is. Yeah. I have reached my limit, and I can believe in in A, B, and C. But but Mr. D. <laughs> is, you did not do that on purpose, did you? <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. And now I have. Um, it's too much. <laughs> Sorry, all of the above is too much for me. Yes, too much. I refuse. I refuse to answer the question. Uh, I'm sorry, but you. Four oh four. God's not found. Yeah. yeah. You, yeah. You, you living proof of gods and goddesses existing in front of me. I refute your existence, yes, sir. No. And of course, Mister D does not take kindly to this, and no. he's like, "Okay, forget this twerk. I'm out of here. Yeah. I'm out of here." Yeah. Why did you bring him here? Um, Shortly after that, kind of we we get the discussion, you know, from Chiron about how the <laughs> gods moved from Greece, you know, to America, uh, and you know, it's just again, it is too much information. It is a lot. It makes sense to us, you know, sort of, but dang, he still. I mean, even when <clears throat> he had a suspicion that something was off, he goes from suspecting that something is off to being thrown way to the other end of the spectrum. <clears throat> yeah. So now he's totally immersed in everything he he he, he vaguely suspected was real. Right. And he really, it, it's too much, it's overload now. Yeah. Let alone that Mr. D, he can't, I mean, it, it's hilarious, it's not <clears throat> even so much that Mr. D is actually a Greek god, he can't even handle the fact that Mr. D is actually somebody cool. He <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was really tripping him out. He's yeah. like, no, no. <clears throat> Which one are you? Which one are you? Where we are now is Percy in full exist, actual existential crisis, yes. literal right. yeah. existential yes. crisis, yeah. and he wants to know 
who in fact Chiron really is. Right. Um, because he's already gotten a couple layers of of yeah. who this guy is, but no, no, who are you really? Like, like bigger, bigger picture. Right. <laughs> and uh, if it's going to be anyone. It's going to be him because that's the teacher that he has trusted mm-hmm. the past yeah. year to to have his back, and, you know, at this school that he has he has finally felt you know vaguely accepted and safe you know at. <clears throat> so if anyone's going to to no really you can tell me the truth you know like <laughs> yeah. it's going to be this guy. Who at this point is still in the wheelchair? Yes, yeah. He's and still in. He's the got the blanket over his lap. You know, he's the blanket. In, yeah. So he still looks like kindly Latin teacher. Um. So he's still quote unquote in the safe zone. Yep. And much as you know, out off roading in his wheelchair <laughs> at camp. And much as this is um, from like a, a storytelling perspective, much as this is kind of an exposition dump, it's kind of that that uh. uh lower energy that we need after it is, yeah. it is the calm in between the storms so yes. to speak after we just had this this frantic chase with the minotaur leading to the crushing loss of mom this is kind of that breathing room yeah that we need before we start ratcheting things back up like yeah you probably do need to know that this is this is a lightsaber this is what it does <laughs> Uh, this is how it works. This is what you just saw. Point it at your face. <laughs> yeah, don't point it at your face. He immediately does. You immediately does. And uh, and and uh, and Chiron tells Percy, uh, yeah, 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 go 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 find Cabin Eleven and uh, yeah. make some friends. Or yeah, something. yeah, right after the, the you know the whole existential crisis question, who am I? Um, he's like, we'll get to that kid. Go find Cabin Eleven. So and this and is where we get the reveal. Chiron doesn't tell him to go find Cabin Eleven. Yeah, he, he says, I'm going to take you to Cabin yes. Eleven. Man. Gets up, blanket falls away. Yeah. Dude's a horse as he's emerging, oh taller than any man. <laughs> you know, Percy still manages to say, I realize that the velvet underwear was an underwear. <laughs> you know, it was the front of an animal, muscle and sinew under coarse white fur. Next time, we will be jumping right into chapter six. For our excerpt of chapter five, Topher read the narration and Percy Hector was our Grover. Natalie was our Annabeth. I played Chiron. And, of course, nobody could play Mr. D the way that Mr. D himself would. Leave it to the god of Diet Coke to truly redefine dramatic ability. I would stick with calling me the god of wine instead of Diet Coke. You know, unless you feel like being a dolphin. Uh, You make a very good point, Mr. D. I'm sorry. Anyway... Are you going to tell these twerps to join in on our quest online? Or am I going to have to do everything myself again? Are we going to have any half-bloods? Or is it going to be Mr. D triumphantly defeats Nero and the Apple of Discord all by himself? Thank you for reminding me, Mr. D. Half-bloods assemble. It is time to go to camphalfbloodaustin.org and join our online quest against Nero. It is already off to the races, so join right up. You can jump in at any time. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.